0: Thank you guys so much for being here. Today we're going to end our series we've been in for the last four or five weeks called I'm um, a way out if you uh, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna go back and and do everything I think that this message will summarize everything kind of bring it back But if you're sitting here if you've just come and hung out it's your first time here You've been on vacation or something and uh, and you feel like you've missed something you probably have you can go to our website uh, Harvestcove.org and, and watch the messages over you can download our app and you can get it on there We have it. We have it on there so you guys can catch up um, but we're coming to the end of the series, and uh, this week um, I was just uh, the Lord just really laid it on my heart, and I and I changed this, the last message of the series. Um, I, I started studying uh, the life of Solomon, King Solomon, um, and, and if you know anything, uh, you don't even have to grow up in church to know the name King Solomon. Um, there's been movies based on his life and his treasure and his accomplishments, and he's in history, he's deemed as one of the greatest uh, kings in history. The Bible says he was not only one of the greatest, but he was one of the wisest, and, and, uh, just, it, and there's, just, there's just a lot of things about Solomon that are, that are pretty cool to study, and, and as I was kind of going through and I was studying Solomon's life, what a lot of people don't realize about Solomon's life is that, is that it did not end very well. A lot of people just, they don't know that because, you know, everybody tends to focus on the the good things in a lot of Solomon's life and a lot of the things that he did and a lot of things that he accomplished um, were were magnificent things and and he was uh, famed across all the land and uh, what is cool about Solomon um, and then a little bit about David, but what's really cool about Solomon is that you go back and you can study other, um, even even in Egypt and their history and and some of the the other Middle Easterns uh, in that area and their old histories and almost all of them talk about Solomon and how great he was. And the respect that they had for him and, and different things um, like that and so but but solomon's life um, like many of our own um, it, it was it started off uh, just uh, in a way uh, that and I, and I remember this and I think about this too when When Solomon first became king, there there was a conversation that he had um, with God. There was a conversation that he had with God. God kind of came to him and showed himself to him and he said, Solomon, I I want you uh, to ask me for anything you want. Anything that you want, I'm going to give to you and you just, whatever you say, I'm going to give it to you. I um, mean, this really, when you, when you get this question asked to you, now, I'm telling you right now, I, I wish that I would be able to have this conversation with God, as I'm sure many of you wish that you could just get one thing from God. You know, if God said, I'll give you anything you want in the world, anything you ask for, I'm going to give to you, uh, there's nobody in this room that wouldn't be like, Lord God, please have that conversation with me, right? And, 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 and he comes to Solomon, and this, this does something for Solomon, it exposes Solomon's heart when he was younger, exposes Solomon's heart in, in the first year of his reign because Solomon could have asked for anything. Solomon could have asked for wealth. He could have asked um, um, for uh, victory in battle. He could have uh, asked for all of his enemies to be defeated. He could have asked um, for anything. He could have asked for power. He could have asked for anything on the earth. He could ask for anything. And what he asked God for, he said, I want wisdom and I want knowledge and I want understanding. And his heart behind wanting wisdom and knowledge and understanding was so that he could honor the Lord and lead his people and lead God's people um, in a way that honored God and served God, and, and he said, that your people is too great, your kingdom is too great, you are too great, and he said, and, and, and who, who am I to lead these people so to be able to honor you and to serve you um, and to do the right things and, and, to, and to do it the way you, I, I need your wisdom and I need your knowledge, I need your understanding. And In a lot of ways, um, this is, it, it's a similarity when, when people first give their life to Christ, when people first begin to follow Jesus, when people first begin to, to come to know God in a unique way, um, most and maybe some of you, but for the most part, we usually don't come get up from a moment with God or, or have that moment with God or go through that process with God where we turn our faith over to God. And, and our heart initially on day one is, I hate you, Jesus. I'm going to sin against you. I'm going to ruin I'm going to ruin my life. I want to do evil. Um, nobody does like that because, if it, does that make sense? Just to just show of hands, if, if you got up and you had a moment with God, uh, and I'm really, raise your hand if this is you. I'd love, I'd love to. Nobody's looking at you. I'm just looking at you. And you, and you got up from that moment you got up from that moment, and you walked away, and in your heart and in your mind, you were like, screw Jesus. Right? Nobody, 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 nobody got up from that moment of salvation. Nobody had that conversation with God and then got up and was just pumped about idols. Right? No, nobody got up and was just like, man, I just can't wait. That was like, thank you, Jesus, for that salvation, and uh, head over to the lawyer to divorce your wife or your husband. Like, n- nobody does that, right? Because in, in the initiality, when, when, you, when you first come to that knowledge of Christ and you first come to that knowledge of God, there is something about it. It is so powerful and it is so amazing and it is so real that you get up and you walk away from there. And there is a, there, and I'm telling you, I was the same way. There was just this overwhelming, I'll never sin again. I'm never going to do this again. I'm going I'm to right all the wrongs. I'm going to be perfectly. I'm going to memorize Genesis to Revelation. I'm going to do all these things and it's going to be fantastic. And, the, and somewhere along the lines, people will start calling me Prophet Jordan. That's how good of a Christian that I'll be. They will write stories about how holy I am and, and how much I serve God, because there's just this initial thing in here. But here's the thing that happens, this is the thing that happens, is that no matter where you start off with, so much of the time we lose that passion uh, and, that, and that, 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 that love for God. And many times, many times, not only do we lose that passion, we lose that love for God, but as a Christian, sin begins to show up in our life, and sin begins to show up in our life, and sin begins to show up in our life. And then before we realize it, not only has, has sin and this whole process of this series kind of shown up, but sin becomes it's not resisted anymore. It's, it's not even tolerated anymore. It's become rationalized and legalized. And now sin just kind of overruns our life. And then we wind up uh, doing the very things and living the very things and the things that we said on day one. And through that first part that we will never do. It's about Jesus. We want to honor God. We want to do the right things. We want to live holy. We want to live righteous. We want to honor God. But then you wake up one day and, 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 you, and you didn't. Your life's just riddled, riddled with sin. And 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 this is the part that I want in my heart behind this entire series and and the message this morning is I want to look into Solomon's life because this is exactly what happened in Solomon's life. All right, he starts off with this passion for God, this heart for God, this heart for God's people, this heart for God's kingdom, and he wanted to serve God and honor God and love God. And all the only thing he wanted was wisdom to be able to serve and honor God in the right way. And what a lot of people don't know is that in the end, and even the people that do know a little bit of the facts, we don't realize how much it was in the end. Not only was Solomon's life uh, uh, absolutely riddled with sin, but God's kingdom was shattered and divided and filled with idols and temples to other gods and detestable sins that we'll talk about in a few minutes showed up in his life. And so I just want to take a second. It's going to be a little bit different this morning, all right? You're about to have, most of you, I'll be one of the bed. I've got some fun plans for 4th of July so you can afford to be bored for the next 45 minutes. But I want you to just, I want you to just listen to me. I, and, and I want us to kind of go through this together. I want to go through Solomon's life and, and because there's a, something extremely powerful at the end that I believe will really speak to the hearts and the minds of our people. And so, so I, I want to read to you in, in Deuteronomy chapter 17. You don't have to turn there. It'll be up there. This is something that God gave Moses. And this is important that, that we understand this and that we get this early on. This is important because this is something that God gave to Moses 500 years prior to Solomon's reign. 500 years prior to to the kings of Israel, God gave this to Moses in the law. He wrote this in Deuteronomy chapter 17. And this is what he said. And, and, And I'm telling you, it's not going to make sense to you. Right, Because it's, it, it's very specific. It's not one of those broad do not sins. There's some very, very, very specific things that God says the kings of Israel cannot, should not, and must not do these very, very, very specific things. And we're going to kind of explain them. But and this is, just, this, is, this is just, and for all the people around here, you, you farmers and you have horses, just be, I promise this will make sense. The king must not build up a large stable of horses for himself or send his people to Egypt to buy horses. For the Lord has told you, you must never return to Egypt. The king must not take many wives for himself because they will turn his heart away from the Lord. And he must not accumulate large amounts of wealth and silver and gold for himself. All right, I just want you, I just want you, I know it's not going to make sense. I promise you, and not, it's not going to make sense until it makes sense. But I just want you to hang on to me. If you own horses, you're not a horrible sinner. Okay, just calm down. If you're rich, it's Okay. I want to be rich too, man. I'm not, probably never will be, but I want to be. It's okay if you're rich. I just want you to hang with me. There's three very specific things that he says. Listen, the kings, when they come to power, must not do these things. They must not build up large stable of horses for himself or send his people to Egypt to buy horses. For the Lord has told you, you must never return to Egypt. The king must not take many wives for himself because they will turn his heart away from the Lord and he must not accumulate large amounts of wealth and silver and gold for himself." Direct commands from the mouth of God to the kings of Israel. All right. Now I want you to understand this. And and if I had to, t- I never title messages. In fact, during the week, uh, the staff make me come up with titles to put it online because that's what all the other pastors do. And I usually, I just don't. I don't. But if I had if I had to title this message, I would say, "Don't buy horses." That's how. That's what the title. <laughs> don't buy horses. All right. Don't buy horses. So if I turn my back to read up here again and you want to leave, you can leave. All right, that's the title of the message, Don't Buy Horses. You're like I'm more of a four-wheeler guy, so you're good to go. All right, but I'm, I'm going to kind of go through this because this is, this is going to make sense, hopefully. Maybe it won't in a minute. So Solomon comes to power. He has this conversation with God. God gives him wisdom. Then he sets his heart to build a temple for God that's what God had commanded David. He said, David, your son Solomon is going to build a temple for me. And so he accumulates all this wealth and he uses his wisdom and his strategy and and all this stuff to accumulate cedar and lumber and and gold. And he begins to build this amazing temple for God so that all of the world could come and worship God at this temple. And within this, it built the holies of holies. And I think whoever prayed a few minutes ago, I I think I heard them talk about the holies of holies. And and this is where the presence of God is. And so he comes and his heart is for the kingdom and his heart is for the people. And he spends years building up this great and giant temple for God. And he builds the holies of holies so the presence of God could rest. And then not only that, he comes in, he has this dedication and he brings thousands, I mean, an unspeakable, imaginable amount of of, of gold and silver and animals and sacrifices to come and honor the Lord and give to the Lord. And, And he has this beautiful prayer of dedication. And he says, God, you know, basically just to sum it up, he says, God, you're God. Yahweh, you are God. You are greater, God. You are, you are the greatest. There is none like you. There will none ever be any. No one is higher than you. You are the one that we need to worship. You are the one that we need to love. You are the one. You are our provider. You are our protector. And he just goes on and on and on. And he dedicates this temple to God. And he hands over the kingdom. And he surrenders himself. And he surrenders the people. And he surrenders everything over to God. And God shows up again for the second time in his life. And, and God says, "I hear your prayers. And I honor you. And and stick with me. And don't sin." And then after this moment, after this this accumulation of events. Solomon then, after it's dedicated and after it's having, Solomon then goes to do something. He goes to build himself a palace, which is fine. He could do that. But somewhere between dedicating, building and dedicating this temple to the Lord and then building his own palace, something began to change. And it wasn't a dramatic change in Solomon. It wasn't like you know one day he was at the altar praying and then he went out and, and murdered somebody. It wasn't it wasn't it wasn't like this flip. It wasn't like he was crazy. There was just a few things that began to change slowly in his heart and in his mind. And as he began to build, uh, as he began to build uh, this 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 palace for himself, um, it, the uh, plans began to grow larger and larger and larger and larger and larger and larger. And before he knew it, the palace itself was greater and worth more than the temple of God. And there was something that happened between this moment that began to lead Solomon away from the Lord. And then in, in 1 Kings, and it talks about it in 2 Chronicles, it begins to outlay this kind of this, this, this procedure, this, this product in his life as he began to move forward. And so I just want you to remember this before we go on. You must not build up large stables of horses. Don't send your people to Egypt, especially to buy horses. You must never go to Egypt. Don't go to Egypt. No matter what, don't go to Egypt. The king must not take many wives, especially from Egypt, for himself because they will turn his heart away from the Lord, and he must not accumulate large amounts of wealth and silver and gold for himself. Now let's go to 1 Kings for. Solomon's life. And this says, uh, this just starts his accomplishments and I want you to read this in 1 Kings uh, chapter 10, verse 14 through 15. It says, it says, each year, Solomon received about 25 tons of gold. Yeah. I think he's got trump trumped. This did not include the additional revenue he received from merchants and traders, all the kings of Arabia and the governors of the land. So this... This is what I want you to understand. That 25 tons of gold came from where? It came from his own people. He heavily taxes people, something that nobody talks about. um, And it's in there. And especially at the end of his life, when he dies, they come to his son and they say, listen, Solomon pressed a finger on us. It was a heavy finger. It was a heavy burden on us. And we we beg you, don't lead the way that Solomon led us. A lot of people don't realize that. Uh, And so this 25 tons of gold came from Israel, produced from his people from taxes and work and different things like that, and didn't include any of the additional revenue he received from merchants and traders, which there were tons of them, and then all the kings of Arabia, which where there were tons of them, and all the governors of the land, which there were tons of them. So uh, there's, most people estimate that on an annual basis it was probably closer to 40 uh, tons of gold each year. Uh, and if you ever go do the math and do the little things, uh, he's the richest man that ever lived. Period, the richest man that ever lived. You will never, and I know that you think you're great and you're smart. You will never do the things that Solomon did. You will never acquire the wealth that Solomon acquired. I just want you hang on with me. I just want you to remember that for all the people, this is your life, right? This is what you want to do. You want to succeed, and you want to go and you work day in and day out to expand your business and to expand your job and to climb the ladder and to go that direction and to hoard wealth and to save wealth and to become rich and to invest in stocks. And then this is your life, and you want to hoard. You want to. You want to gain all there is to gain, all the resources there is to gain. You want to be. You want to be rich, and this is the thing that drives you, and this is the thing that. Gets you. I want you to understand that with all of your might and all of your wisdom and all of your strength, you will not accomplish in one day de- or in your entire lifetime what Solomon accomplished in one day when it comes to wealth. Do you understand that? I just want you to, I want you to remember that. I want you to remember it because for some of you, this is your entire life's purpose is to gain resources and to gain wealth and to gain material things and to gain stuff. This is, that's what your life is all about. Some of you, you've sacrificed your family and you've sacrificed relationships and you've sacrificed relationships with kids and you've sacrificed times and you've sacrificed things in your life just to continue to climb ladders and to accumulate wealth. This is the sustenance of your life. It's accumulating wealth. And my heart to you is that no matter how how much you try or how far you go or what you accomplish, you think in your own heart, in your own mind, or how much your pride deceives you, you will never, ever, ever, ever uh, succumb or defeat or go above what Solomon has done. It's important that you remember that later on. He accumulated a massive amount of personal wealth, which is what God said, do not do. Do not accumulate a massive amount. And I want you to understand this. This wasn't the wealth of Israel, right? Because in the beginning, it was the wealth of Israel and it was the wealth of God's kingdom. And he began to put his treasures in God's temple. See, but a lot of people talk, they, they forget that he, he quit putting things in God's temple. He quit, he quit becoming gods. It quit becoming the temples. It quit becoming the kingdoms. it quit becoming the peoples. And it became Solomon's wealth. And it became what Solomon was gaining. All right. So, this, And this isn't a big deal. All right. It's, it's, not, it's not bad to be rich. Rich people aren't bad people. No matter what, uh, 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 some pertinent people in our government try to make people believe that this, this class warfare that's being divided, I know it's kind of a hot topic. There's nothing wrong with being wealthy. There's nothing wrong with being rich. There's nothing wrong with that. All right. But God said for the kings, don't accumulate a large amount of wealth. And this was the heart of God because he says, listen, when you do this, you will lose a dependency on me. Right, when, you, when, you, when you gain so much wealth, in fact, uh, that Solomon adds in Proverbs, I think it's Proverbs 27, he adds, this, he adds one of the Proverbs in the Proverbs says, Listen, God, don't make me poor so I won't steal and don't make me rich so I won't quit depending on you. This is one of the Proverbs that Solomon wrote when he was young. But somewhere along the line, he lost that, and he accumulated so much personal wealth that he utterly and quit, uh, completely quit depending on God in any way, shape, or form. God, he depended on God for nothing, and nothing, because he had 25 tons of gold coming in just from his people every single year. God said, don't accumulate wealth. It's not a big deal. It's not, a, it's not, it's, it's not like he went out and sacrificed any kids. It's not like he was a serial killer. It's not, like, it's not like he was waging war, and he was hurting the poor, and he was doing... It's not like he was, he was evil... But God said, Don't spend your life accumulating personal wealth. And Solomon did that. I told you it'd be boring for a little while. Just hang on. It goes on to say this, First Kings chapter 10, 18 through 20. It says, Then the king made a huge throne decorated with ivory and overlaid with fine gold. The throne had six steps and a rounded back. There were armrests on both sides of the seat and the figure of a lion stood on each side of the throne. And then just for kicks and giggles, uh, there were also 12 other lions, one standing on each end of the six steps. No other throne in all the world could compare with it. Not even God's throne in the temple. All right, so I want you to, this reflected Solomon's pride in a massive way. This reflected Solomon's pride in a massive way. in the beginning his heart was for God and his heart was for the kingdom and his heart was for the people and he wanted to serve and he wanted to go but somewhere along the way when he lost his dependency on God because he began to accumulate so much wealth in this life, now all of a sudden it became about him and it became about his palace and it became about what he was doing it became about what he was accomplishing it became about people coming to hear him and hear his wisdom and it became about this and he set his altar up, he set his, his throne up so high that all the kings and all the queens and all the people in the world it said that they came and they flocked to him because they heard of his greatness. Now, I want you to understand something, and this is the thing that I want you to understand. I didn't pull this up, but when it reflected on David's greatness, his father, do you know what it said? It said that people revered David because of the greatness of his God. It said that people came uh, to to seek advice from David because of the greatness of his God, because of the greatness of the God of Israel. In the middle and later on in Solomon's life, it became because of Solomon's greatness, in fact, through the rest of 1 Kings, and you know, the very end, and even in Chronicles when it talks about it, and through Ecclesiastes, it never one time referred to God, the God of Solomon. It just referred to Solomon's greatness, and Solomon's wealth, and Solomon's strategy, and Solomon's wisdom, and what Solomon did. And so God said, listen, don't accumulate wealth, because when you do that, you lose it, and then it becomes all about you, and you forget God. And then when it becomes all about you, things stop mattering as much. Things that you used to resist, sins that you used to resist, things that you used to go, it doesn't, it doesn't matter much anymore. It goes on after the wealth and after the throne. It says in uh, 26 through 28, it says, Solomon built up a huge force of chariots and horses. All right, Remember, what, what was the thing? Don't accumulate what? Don't buy he had fourteen hundred chariots and twelve thousand horses. He stationed some of them in the chariot cities and some near him in Jerusalem. The king made silver as plentiful in Jerusalem as stone, and valuable cedar timber was as common as the sycamore fig tree that grow in the foothills of Judah. Listen to this, Solomon's horses were imported from Egypt and from Sicily. What? Egypt? I'm telling you, it's, I know it's boring to you because you don't understand it, you don't get it. I, I, I trust me, I, I know this. I, I've got ADD, I'm, I'm, I, I promise you. And you're just like, Egypt, oh my God, and you're getting all excited because I'm getting all excited in the back of your mind you're going, what does that matter? What is Egypt, I don't understand. Yeah, you know. okay, I, I won't buy any horses from Egypt. Never been there before. All right, but I, I want you to understand this. Egypt If you know where the people of Israel came from, Egypt enslaved his people for a very, very, very long time. And when they left, God said, under any circumstances, you will not return to the slave life that you lived before. I don't want connection with Egypt. I don't want a dependency on Egypt. I don't want anything having to do with Egypt. I freed you from Egypt. I freed you from that old life. I freed you from that. I don't want you connected to that. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. Egypt had all the horses, and this is what the horses represent. This represented protection and power. Whoever had the most horses in their army and the most chariots in the army, they were going to win. They were the powerful ones. And so what Solomon did for strategic reasons in his own mind, because he's prideful, he's accumulated wealth, he has no dependency on God, he's losing his fear for God, there's, there's no reverence here. He makes a very strategic decision. He says, I'm gonna partner with Egypt. I'm gonna go to Egypt and I'm gonna acquire as many horses as I can acquire so I can build up my army and build up my chariot so that I can be my own protector and that I can be the protector of the people and I'm gonna kind of take that job from God. God used to be a protector, but I'm gonna be the protector. And in doing so, he created an alliance with Egypt. Now there's a connection. And here's what I want you to understand. Solomon's protection is now dependent on Egypt, because they are the only ones with the horses and the chariots. So now there's a strategic alliance with a very group that God said, I don't want you to have any connection with. I don't want you to ever return there. Don't buy horses specifically from Egypt. Don't accumulate horses. Don't buy them from Egypt. And Solomon does all these things. So he accumulates wealth. He builds this giant palace and this, this thing greater than God's. And he, he starts buying horses, that evil scoundrel from Egypt. And he brings them back. And, and this is the thing, this is the thing. I want you to understand, while he's over in Egypt, he goes and, and, and he goes over there, he, he sees, apparently he sees this young lady, all right, and this, this, is, the, this is the thing, and I, w- I want you to understand this, this grass, he, he goes to Egypt, he never should have been in Egypt, shouldn't have been there, shouldn't have been buying these horses, while he's there, he meets the Pharaoh's daughter, all right, and I'm just assuming this chick is hot, right, I'm just, I just have to believe that this girl is outside her mind hot. I just have, I have to believe that. Because this is Solomon, right? The greatest king on the planet, can have anything he wants, does anything he wants, got all this wealth, all these horses, all this thing. And, there, and, and God says about 50,000 times, don't go to Egypt and for the love of all that is holy, don't marry any women from Egypt, don't do it. Solomon goes to Egypt to buy horses, sees this girl, whatever he sees in her, it's enough for him to, to walk away from one of the most uh, highly repetitive commands that God gives, not just kings, but the people of Israel in general. He takes Pharaoh back. He marries her. It's the first. It's the first of foreign wives that he, he marries. All right, he goes on. He goes on to say, uh, to say this. Uh, now King Solomon loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. She was the first. She thought she was so special. She was like, I got him. I'm the only one. I'm the only one of... A thousand, you hear in a minute. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he started marrying women from Moab and Ammon and Edom and Sidon and from among the Hittites. The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel: you must not marry them because they will turn your hearts to what their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. Listen to this: this is idiot. (laughs) He had seven hundred wives of royal birth. I want you to understand royal birth. He didn't marry his own daughter so every single one of those are what? From other nations. They're all foreign. They're all it's all, none of it should have 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. You know I looked that definition up. And in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. All right, so so he he, he gets the wealth, he goes to Egypt, he buys the horse, he meets Pharaoh's daughter. All right, he resists this thing for a long time, and then he begins to, he begins to tolerate it, and then he, he marries a daughter, he rationalizes it, he legalizes this sin, and then he just, once it's legalized, once he marries Pharaoh's daughter, and, uh, and she was just, you know, just, I guess just blew his mind, and let your imagination run wild there that he was like, Dad, I'm doing this again. Now that it's legalized, now, now, now that you can, you, you can do this thing, he just goes and he starts marrying all kinds of women from all kinds of strategic reasons, and now he's just, he's just powering his life. He's got, he's got the wealth, and he's got the horses he shouldn't have had. He's, been, he's connected with Egypt. There's a dependency on Egypt that he shouldn't have, and he doesn't just have Pharaoh's daughter, but he's got a 1,000 concubines. At least we know 700 of them are from foreign nations for sure. He accumulates tons of wives. All right, so now he, he's, he, he, he's hitting three for three. Sitting three for three. God said, listen, there's three things that you, you don't need to do, you can't do it. No matter what you do, don't do these things. As a king of Israel, he does all three of these things. I told you, it's a very boring message, I get it. Now I want you to listen to this. In Solomon's old age, this is in 1 Kings eleven four 4 through 6. In Solomon's old age, it's important that you understand this. See, I think a lot of times in our heart and our mind, when, you know, when I, like a few weeks ago when I went through temptation cycle and I went through that idea of death you know I said listen there's there's temptation and it's desire and it's deception and there's disobedience and then there's death you know what I mean and 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 we kind of go through that and it's difficult for us to understand the fullness of that and that's the heart behind this man it's difficult for us to understand the fullness of that cycle because it's not something that happens in a few minutes it's not something that happens in a few days it's not something that happens in a few weeks or even a few months or even a few years and, I, and this is the thing I, I, want, I want you to understand. If you remember back to that scripture, at the beginning of this series, it says that when, when sin is full grown in your life, it brings what? Death. Death, your relationship with God. Death to things in your life. Death to relationships. It just begins to riddle and bring chaos and destruction into your life consistently and constantly. But it's not something that happens overnight. See, this, this started off with a, with a resistance and then there was a toleration of wealth, a toleration of horses, right? And there was just this toleration of a little bit of sin and a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And then it became, he became, started to rationalize. It makes a lot of sense to partner with Egypt. They're the only ones behind us. If we can be in a partner with them, I only got one border to really, I need, I need to protect he starts rationalizing why the wealth is okay, rationalizing why the horse is okay, rationalizing why the dependency is okay. He's rationalizing all this sin, and then it becomes legalized. It just becomes, it's becomes okay. He's past it. He isn't convicted over it anymore. It's just a way of life. And then in Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord his God as his father David had been. Solomon worshiped. I want you to think about the significance of this. This is the man who stood before God himself twice, spent the first few years of his reign building the greatest temple that God has ever seen and instructed the entire people to come and dedicate this temple and worship him. And it was all about Yahweh, the God of the Bible, was all about God in every way, shape, and form. He had wisdom and God had blessed him immensely. And now this very same king, this wise king, this powerful king, All the accomplishments, all the wealth, all the victory, all everything that he had ever done. He is now worshiping Astaroth, the goddess of Sidians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. In this way, Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He refused to follow the Lord completely as his father David had done. Solomon began to worship false gods. Now I just want, and I know that it's hard for us to understand worshiping false gods because that's not really something. For us, it's not really a temptation to walk into the woods and cut down a limb and make a little thing and then bow down to it. That's not. That's not a part of our culture. But it is a part of our culture to worship sex in general just to bow your life down and, and your entire life is just about sex. Your entire life is just about success. Your entire life is just about wealth. Your entire life is just about uh, doing... There's, there's things, there's guys, there's girls, there's things in your life. It becomes your entire life becomes about these things. Everything in your life circles around to you going and attaining these things. Those are idols. Anything that, that takes uh, God's place in your heart, that becomes an idol in your life. And here's the thing that I, I want you to understand about this. In this moment it becomes okay for Solomon. It's not even that big of a deal. Years before, he would put somebody to death for even uttering the name of a false god. And now here he himself is laying down to worship gods. It goes on to say, not only that, on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, he even built a pagan shrine for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and another for Moab, the detestable god of the Ammonites. And listen to this, Solomon built such shrines or temples for all his foreign lives, all 700 of them to use for burning incense and sacrificing to their gods. Solomon built hundreds and hundreds of temples to pagan gods and other gods. So now I want you to, I want you to just, just for a second, just stay. I know I'm teaching more this morning, I'm not preaching, and I'm, but I just want you to hang with me on this little history lesson we're going through. The beginning of Solomon's reign, God is lifted up high. And there's one temple, and it is the great temple of God, with the presence of God. And everything is about God, and everything is about worshiping God, and knowing God, and growing in God, and and being dependent on God, and seeing God as the provision, and God as the protection, and, and seeing God. Now the end of his reign, the temple of God is just one temple, and over 700 temples. And the things that you don't know about some of these gods is that these gods, especially the god Molech, that regularly sacrifice children to this god all over Canaan. So for these people to worship Molech in the way that they worshipped him before, as it said that he did, there is a strong possibility that there were child sacrifices now happening in Israel. And that if you were to just stand on the mountain and you were to overlook Israel, every night this is what you would see. You would see smoke from incense going up all over the land, as sacrifices were being made to other gods. Everything, everything that God said not to do, everything that God said not to do, all of it was being done. All of it was being done. And here's the th- why. Remember the title? Because he bought some horses. And, and this is the thing that I want you to understand. Taylor, you can go ahead and come up here and play. This is the thing that I want you to understand. As you're sitting here this morning, because I went through a little history lesson, some of you are kind of geeks like me and you enjoyed it, but for the most of you, you just kind of, this is nice, but this is kind of whatever, it's it's, it's no big deal. But I I want you to to hear me. What, What we've learned from this little boring history lesson is that the toleration of the smallest sin, the toleration of the smallest sin, unchallenged, will bring great and utter destruction to your life, period. If you're asleep, wake up and listen to me. You tolerate one sin, the toleration of one sin, one small sin, unchecked, unmanaged, unchallenged. It's not a matter of if, it is a matter of when it takes everything from you. And it doesn't happen in a day. And this is the thing I, it's hard to preach messages like this because I wish I could tell you, if you sin, tomorrow you will see the wrath of God and you will know that God is Lord and it will be amazing and you will serve God for the rest of your life. It's more difficult to say, if you tolerate the sin, probably in the next 30 or 40 years, you'll wake up and your life will be mounted with chaos and destruction. The marriage that you enjoy now will probably be over. The kids that you once loved probably won't want anything to do with you. The job that you once gave everything to, it's gone and worthless. Maybe 40 years from now, 50 years from now, 60 years from now, 70 years from now, you're laying on your deathbed. And all that wealth you spent, you you sit there in this moment, I promise, you you sit there in this moment, I promise, I want you to listen to me. I don't care how young you are, I don't care how arrogant you are, I don't care how poor you are, I don't care how rich you are, I don't care. Years and years and years from now, when you lay on your deathbed, let me promise you one thing, you're not gonna be thinking about all that money you had because in that moment maybe for the first time in your life you will realize what Solomon realized, it's all meaningless. The toleration of one sin I promise you, I promise you the toleration of one sin, you'll begin to rationalize it. It's just a little bit of a lie. It's just a little bit of lie, just a little bit of a gossip. It's just a little bit of this, just a little bit of that. It's just a little bit of sin, it's just a little bit of porn, it's just a little bit of sex, it's just a little bit of disobedience, it's just a little bit, unchecked, unmanaged, you begin to rationalize well, it. Well, it makes sense. It's not a big deal. It's commonplace in culture. Let's just live together. It makes a bunch of financial sense. Let's just do it this way. Let's just not, God, it's not, we're not, we won't even have sex. We'll just, we'll just, we'll just sleep together in the same bed and not have sex. I've heard that, you stupid people. Lay in bed and not have sex. Are you outside your mind? Something must be broken you that you can lay next to a girl that you are attracted to night after night after night and not have sex with her. Right? But we begin to rationalize it, which well, just makes financial sense, well it just, it just does this, well this job, this job's got more, more money, well this, this, this is happening and we just, we start to rationalize all these things and then it just becomes kind of commonplace and this is the thing that happens and this is what I want you to understand because some of you are here and some of you aren't, but I promise you, if you tolerate and you rationalize long enough, you will begin to legalize sin in your life the same way that at the beginning Solomon said put to death anybody that worships false god to the end he legalized it and he, he not only legalized it but he created the building program for the false temples of the false gods you'll legalize that sin in your life and it will just become commonplace it will just become a thing a little bit of lust will become a little bit of sex become a little bit of adultery a little, a little white lie will become wise. We'll become a liar. And then it's just commonplace in your life. You go down that sin, and I'm going to ask you this question. What sin do you tolerate in your life? Just think about it. In your heart, in your mind, right now, what sin, what sin do you tolerate in your life? What sin are you okay with being in your life? And here's the thing, I want you to hear me. Right? right, I'm done with the boring stuff. That sin that you tolerate in your life, that'll be the thing that takes everything from you years from now. I want you to write it down, text it to yourself, remember it, get it out to the car. If you're too ashamed to write it down in front of your spouse. I want you to write down that whatever it is, lies, gossip, sex, premarital sex, whatever it is, pornography, whatever it is, you write it down. You write that down. I'm cool with this in my life. I tolerate this in my life. I don't feel guilty about this in my life. I'm not convicted about this in my life. It doesn't really matter what God says about this in my life. I'm cool with it being there. I tolerate it. Write that sin down because that's the sin at the end of the day will take everything from you. I promise you. I promise you. Now, because you know it in your heart, because we know it in our heart, I want you to write down the idol of your heart. Maybe it's power, maybe it's position, maybe it's wealth, maybe it's comfort, maybe it's riches, maybe it's success, maybe it's sex. But you write down that idol, that idol, that thing that you chase, that idol that you tolerate, that you rationalize. It's okay if I spend my life chasing this thing. It's okay if I commit my life to acquiring this thing. It's okay if I commit my life to going after this. It's okay if I do this. It's okay. It's okay. Because I'm who I am. I'm a person and God put me on the earth and I can spend my life doing what I want and I'm gonna chase this thing and I'm gonna acquire this thing and I'm gonna build this thing and I'm gonna have this thing. I'm gonna do it and I'm gonna sacrifice my family. I'm gonna sacrifice time with God. I'm gonna sacrifice time with the church. I'm gonna sacrifice everything. I'm gonna sacrifice my relationships. I'm gonna do the thing. I'm gonna chase the thing. Whatever it is, fame, whatever it is, however broad it is, you write that idol down. Because if you keep chasing it before you know it, you'll be like Solomon. Your knees will be bent down to it, literally worshiping it, giving it every ounce of your life. And it probably won't be tomorrow. But it will happen. So what sin do you tolerate? Now here's a question I want you to, What sins are legalized in your life? They're commonplace. They're daily. Pride? What, what, what addiction? It's just, it's just constant in your life. It doesn't even bother you anymore. It's just, it's just a part of who you are. Think about it. What have you legalized in your life? See, the problem is, is that, that there's a whole bunch of sins back here in this book, and you don't know it because you don't read it. So there's a lot of sins in your life that you don't even realize are sins but you live in America and this is a modern American culture. This is a modern American church. And see, last week, and and I'm, I'm gonna get to me, last week when I said, you're no longer condemned, go and sin no more, all you heard was, I'm no longer condemned, so I'm gonna go sin some more. I'm no longer condemned, so it's cool if I sin. That's not the message. It was, you're no longer condemned, go and sin no more. Say, I want you to hear me. If there was a misunderstanding last week, sin will kill you. Sin will destroy you. Sin is no small thing. Sin is extremely dangerous and extremely powerful. And if you tolerate it in your life, it's going to take everything from you. Period. So much so, and this is is my greatest fear from my life, my greatest fear from my family and the greatest fear from, from my people. And I'm not gonna go read it because it's 12 chapters long, but I want you this afternoon, I want you to go home some point today and I want you to just read through Ecclesiastes. It'll take you about 20, 30 minutes. I want you to read through Ecclesiastes. This is a book that Solomon wrote at the end of his life. And very, 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 very quickly, you will notice a distinct pattern He starts calling everything meaningless. He says work, meaningless. Job, meaningless. Wealth, meaningless. Careers, meaningless. Idols, meaningless. Power, meaningless. He even says wisdom, at the end of the day, compared to what he finishes the book with, meaningless. You gotta remember, he's the wisest man that ever lived. So he looks in his own life. He says, I'm the wisest man that ever lived. At the end of the day, compared to what he ends the chapter with, it's meaningless. He goes, so you name it. Solomon says, listen, here's the, and this is what I want you to understand. I know you're great in your own eyes and I know you're the man and I know you're the woman and I know you're, you're just, you're awesome. I get that. I know, I'm me too. But all of us combined, never going to do what Solomon did in any way, shape or form. So Solomon says, I, I get you. And I think if he was here today, and he stood on this stage today, he would look at you. He would look into your lives and he would laugh and he would have pity on you. And he would say, you're going to spend your life chasing that. Let me tell you, I had it more than you'll ever have it. And it's meaningless. You're going to spend your your time going after that. You're going to neglect your family. You're going to neglect a relationship with God to go after that. What a fool. It's meaningless. Besides Jesus Christ himself, man, if there was anybody that I would wanna hear from, it would be Solomon, because I know everything that I ever wanna do or accomplish in this life. He did it, he had it. He had it. And this is how, and this is, this is the, the end of the 12, it's not up there, I'm just, I'm just gonna read this. Chapter 12, he ends Ecclesiastes with this. And I can just I can just hear, and you have to understand in the hero, I mean, this is Solomon almost like pleading. He's begging. He's begging. It's Ecclesiastes 12. Don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your creator. Don't, don't let the, the excitement of this world cause you to forget God. Don't let the lure of wealth and the lure of riches and the lure of sex and the lure of all these. Don't let it. Don't let it entice you. Don't let it forget God. I just don't do it. I'm begging you. Honor him in your youth before you grow old and no longer enjoy living. It will be too late then to remember him when the light of the sun and the moon and the stars is dim in your old eyes and there is no silver lining left among the clouds. Your limbs will tremble with age. Your strong legs. I want you to hear, he's saying, listen, guys, I want you to hear me, all right? You're gonna go and you're gonna have a nice cookout and you're gonna have a lot of fun for the rest of the day, so let's just be sad for a minute, all right? Zoom in with me real fast. He says, you're gonna get old and you're gonna die. To all the young, you will grow old You will die. To all the not so old, not so young, you will continue to get older. Your body will continue to break down. You will lose, he says, the strength of your shoulders and the strength of your legs and you'll you'll start not being able to see well and and you'll grow older and you will die. But be yourself. will be deaf and tuneless with a quavering voice. You will be afraid You will be afraid. Six says, yes, remember your creator now while you were young before the civil court of life snaps and the golden bowl is broken. Don't wait until the water jar is smashed at the spring and the pulley is broken at the well. For then the dust will return to the earth and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Listen, all is meaningless. Utterly meaningless some of you are like, man, we're going to Harvest Cove. There's a young dude down there. He's like happy and pipy and excited. And, and I just need to feel good. and I'm going to go down there and we're going to get my worship on. And then we're going to go have a fourth of July cookout. We're going to celebrate the freedom. All of it's meaningless, utterly meaningless. All the things you value outside the things of God, it's meaningless. You need to get a big post-it note and post it over your entire house and all in your car until you fully understand the urge of him. It is meaningless. You write it down, it's meaningless. It's worthless. It's not compared. It doesn't matter. It is absolutely 100% meaningless. Because the teacher was wise, he taught the people everything he knew. He collected Proverbs and classified them. Indeed, the teacher taught the plain truth, and he did so in an interesting way. Wise teacher's words spur students to action and emphasize important truths. The collected sayings of the wise are like guidance from a shepherd. But he said this, but my child be warned, there is no end of opinion to be expressed. Studying them can go on forever and ever and become very exciting. So he says, here it is. Here's the whole story. Here's my final conclusion. He says, after all the life I've lived, all the wealth, all the women, all the sex, all the power, all the war, all the victory, everything, everything I've done, it's all meaningless. And here's my, here's the whole story. Here's my final conclusion. This will be up here. Fear God. Obey his commands for this is the duty of every man. That's the whole story, Solomon says. It's all meaningless. Here's now my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. So this is one of those very broad, lifelong messages, and I'm gonna give you nothing to apply to your life tomorrow, you're welcome. But I want you to understand, every now and then, you have to have a reality check, and your reality check, if you were paying attention, or you were listening, I'm trying to give you one this morning from the heart of the mind, of the wisest, richest, most powerful man who ever lived Everything you will chase outside of God is completely and utterly worthless. His plea and his cry is don't waste the years of your life figuring that out on your own. Don't leave here and think foolish kid, foolish preacher, foolish man. I'm going to do it my way. I'm gonna, Psalmist says, I'm begging you. I'm pleading with you. Don't waste your years figuring out life the way that I figured it out. I'm telling you right now, Everything is meaningless, everything is worthless. There is nothing that will come to anything of importance except for one thing, knowing and fearing God and serving Him with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul. You do that, it's the only way you will find true and utter satisfaction in this life. So you have a decision to make. Ignore me, ignore Solomon. Ignore God's word, ignore God himself, and spend the next 30, 40, 50 years figuring all this out on your own and getting to a point in your life where you hate it. And you look back and you realize all the regrets, all the meaningless things that you chased. It's in those moments and those times you'll wish, man. I wish I had just one more second with God. I wish I had just one more second with my family. I wish I had just one more second with my wife my spouse. I wish I had just one more second of the things that mattered most because when you're lying on that deathbed nothing else is going to matter but what is truly important and that is God and following his commands there was a second part remember when it says don't buy horses don't buy chariots don't marry a bunch of women there was a second part to that this is what it said let me turn Deuteronomy 17, 18 through 20, right after he says that, this is what the Lord says. He says, and when the king sits on the throne, when he sits on the throne as king, listen to this, he must copy for himself the body of instruction on the scroll. That's God's word. In the presence of the Levitical priests, he must always keep that copy with him and read it daily as long as he lives. That way he will learn to fear the Lord, his God, by obeying all the terms of these instructions and decrees. This regular reading will prevent him from becoming proud and acting as if he is above his fellow citizens. It will also prevent him from turning away from these commands in the smallest way. So I'm going to tell you something, and I, because you're a modern American Christian and it's become cool not to have the Bible, right? And, and, and there all these preachers Right? They're afraid of you. I'm going to be honest with you. They're afraid of what you think. They want you to come to their church. And, and so they've tried to water things down and twist things. And and things, and then, and all of a sudden, you know, there's no Bible involved. And they're, they're doing all these things. I'm telling you, our generation, we've lost this. We've lost this. It's almost gone completely. Right? We don't need philosophy. We don't need ideology. We don't need great ideas. We don't need creative. Not as much as we need God's Word in our lives. Every single day. Okay, and here's my promise to you, Solomon, wisest man that ever lived, most powerful man that ever lived, all the things we talked about, all the boring stuff that you fell asleep in earlier, this is the one thing he neglected to do. And when he neglected to do this, write this down and read this daily, he lost the fear of God. And when he lost the reverence and the fear of God, everything became okay. Everything became okay. And it's my heart for you. It will be impossible. Hear me. I'll debate you on this one. Come, come argue, write me an email, come fight me. If you try to be a Christian without a daily relationship with Christ and His Word, you will be eaten alive by sin, by the culture, by the enemy by fear, by anxiety, by stress, by depression, by all the things that are consuming you in this very moment will overtake you without a daily relationship with Christ and his word. If I and what I teach on Sunday is the extent of your relationship with God's word, you are in serious trouble because this is a promise from God if you consume my word daily keep it with you read it regularly it will teach you to fear God and it will keep you from the smallest sin but you're trying to fight a war without the sword and you will lose period So at the end of this series, A Way Out, for the modern American Christian, the only surefire way out of a life riddled with sin is a daily, daily, daily relationship with Christ and His Word. If you forsake that, just for clarity and summarization of the entire series, let me make it clear what your life will look like. You will stop resisting sin. You will begin to tolerate it. You will rationalize it. You will legalize it. That sin will grow and bring death and chaos into your life. And many, many, many years from now, you will learn this truth. But many, many, many years from now, it'll be too late to get back everything that sin took from you. Solomon's cry and my cry is right now in this moment. Turn your life over to Jesus Christ. Surrender to Him. Commit to a daily relationship with Him and His Word and never stop resisting sin. And when it creeps in, you quit everything you're doing you wage a war against it until it's out of your life. You wage a war against it until it's out of your life. Whatever that means. Whether you have to confess it which is probably the most powerful way to weaken sin in your life. You have to cut your TV off, throw your computer out the door, in relationships with people, whatever you gotta do, what Jesus Christ said: If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. you wage a war against it. Your way out of a life riddled with sin is a daily relationship with Jesus Christ and His Word. In a consistent and constant war being waged against the sin in your life. Never stop resisting it, because as soon as you stop resisting it, you'll tolerate it, you'll rationalize it, you'll legalize it, and it will take everything from you. This altar is open. Some of you need it. If you guys will stand with me. God, I pray, Lord, right now that you will let your spirit rest in this room. I know that this message was different, God. Well, Father, I believe that your heart is in it. I believe that your spirit is in it, God. I pray, Lord, right now that you will, in the only way that you know how, God, the only way that you can, God, pierce the deepest parts of our hearts and our minds. Pierce through the greatest pride. Pierce through the walls of sin. Pierce through the hardest of hearts, God. I pray, Lord, that you will bring conviction to this house this morning. I pray, Father, that all our people, everybody under the sound of my voice, Father, will turn to you. Turn their heart to you no matter where they are in life. Surrender to you and commit to a daily, daily relationship with you and your word. And a commitment to wage war against every ounce of sin in our life until it is eradicated. I pray, Lord, let this church, God, be a church that doesn't tolerate sin, doesn't rationalize sin, definitely doesn't legalize sin. I pray, Lord, as the culture bears in around us, Father, we've got to learn to stand strong. The world will crush us if we don't learn to commit to your word. Your word empowers us, God. Your word gives us strength, Father. I pray, Lord, that our people become a people of your word, become a people committed and surrendered to your name and your ways and your righteousness. I pray, Lord, right now, reveal in their hearts whether they do anything about it. Reveal in their hearts beyond the shadow of a doubt the sins that they tolerate, the sins that they rationalize, and the sins that they've legalized. And I pray, Lord God, right now that you will, in the way that, the only way that you know, the only, you're the only being that can do this, God, I pray, Lord, that you will convict them and 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 convict them, them, Father God, until they have nothing to do but to bow down to you and repent and turn from their sin, God, for their own sake. I pray, Father, that this house becomes a breeding ground of salvation and holiness, God that if we are the only ones that stand for the righteousness of the God of the Bible, that we will stand strong. I pray, God, that you will grip our hearts and our minds. Let your spirit rest with us, holy. You're holy in your precious name. Amen. Let's worship.